0: Thanks for joining us. I want to remind you that if there's anything that you need prayer for, don't hesitate to give us a call, send us an email, or submit a request online. We'd love to stand with you in prayer. We weren't created to do things alone because when we're alone, we get discouraged. We were created to ask God for help. Today, Pastor Duane is going to be giving us some tips on how to have an effective prayer.
1: Well, today I want to talk to you about effective prayer, and I'd like to begin in the book of James. Uh, James was the pastor at the Church of Jerusalem, and uh, he's really writing to the local church there, but he says to confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. He prayed again, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a prophet, and God told him to go to the wicked king, Ahab, by the way, and tell him there would be no rain and no dew until he said so. And he went and did so, and um, the, the king thought he was a little bit crazy, until as the months went by, there was no rain and there was no dew. But he had a word from God saying, go and tell King Ahab, no rain, no dew until you say so. But notice that the Bible says that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. You see, sometimes we think that just because we've got a word, we don't need to do anything. That you can just take anything that you any any promise, and you need to do nothing at all. But the truth is, when you get a word from God, you're gonna have to pray you're going to have to believe God, you're going to have to stand, you're going to have to resist, and something is not simply going to happen because you've got a word. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, even though God was the one who gave him that word. In the book of Daniel, who's a a captive in Babylon, he finds where Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied and said that the captivity would be 70 years. And immediately when he found it, the Bible says he prayed. And he came in to confess sins. And he said to God, We have been so guilty, we've turned away from you, but fulfill your word that you've spoken to us. Sometimes we think that just because there's a word, we don't need to do anything. We can just sit back. But if you're going to grab hold of that, if you're going to receive it, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to do some diligence. You're going to have to stand. You're going to have to believe. You're going to have to resist what comes against the word that you receive. Now notice it says he had a nature like ours. Because we look at the people that God used in the Bible and we think that somehow they had no problems at all. That they were just super saints. They were like like angels in people bodies. But the Bible says he had a nature like ours. He had hang-ups. He had doubts. He had fears. He had insecurity. He was lonely. Well, here's kind of how the story goes. God tells him, go tell the king, no rain. So he goes, tells the king, and then God said to him, go and hide by the brook cherub. He said, I've commanded a raven to bring you bread and meat every morning and every evening. Now to me, that sounds like a whopper. How about you guys? Bread, meat, just need a little ketchup, a few onions, pickle, mayonnaise. But I don't know about you, but I would not have figured that God would use a bird. Particularly not a raven, a scavenger. How many of you know God's ways aren't our ways? Amen. They're higher. They're higher. So he hides there, but when the brook dries up, God sends him to the town of Seraphath, and God said, hey, hey, I'm sending you, and I've commanded a widow woman there to provide for you. How many, if you were God, you would have chose a rich person? But God chose the poorest woman in town. She was going out gathering a couple of sticks and was going to make her last meal for herself and her son and plan to die. But the prophet gave her a word, and they received supernatural provision for her, for her family, and for the prophet. Then God said, go to Mount Carmel, have a contest with the false prophets of Baal. Each make an altar. The God that answers by fire, let him be God. Elijah prays, fire falls from heaven, consumes the offering. They kill the 450 prophets of Baal. Then he climbs up on the top of Mount Carmel, and he prays again. And God sends rain for the first time in three and a half years. It turns dark. It's black. There's thunder. it, It is just pouring. And the Spirit of the Lord came on the prophet. And the Bible says he outran the king's chariot. Now, the king would have had the finest horses in the land. But for 18 miles... That prophet outran the horses. But when he got there, wicked queen Jezebel had heard what had happened, that her prophets had been killed. And she sent a message. And she said, so let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She said, I'm going to kill you. And the Bible says when he saw that, when he pictured her words in his mind, He arose, ran for his life, and went to Beersheba. He ran out into the desert for a day. Now, the reason that he did that was because he was focusing, by the way, on the wrong thing. When you you focus on your fears and on your insecurities, when you focus on what the devil is telling you, you're always going to move in the wrong direction. And by the way, you always do move in the direction of your dominant thoughts. That's the direction you're going to move in. So he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and the Bible says that he sat down under a broom tree. If you go in the desert there, there's shrubs. They probably get just maybe about so tall and uh, kind of spread out. And he just sits down, and he prays that he might die. And he said, it's enough, O oh Lord God. Take my life. It's better. I am no better than my father's. And basically, he's saying, God, kill me. You know, he gets suicidal. But the truth is, he didn't want to die. If he had wanted to die, he could have just stayed where he was, and Jezebel would have taken care of it. But he ran because, really, he didn't want to die, but he's discouraged. He, see, he, he feels like, okay, I've done all of these things, and things are moving in the wrong direction. So God sends him to Mount Horeb. And when he gets there, God meets with him there. And God, God says to him, he said, uh, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, now he's off hiding when God's plan was for him to bring revival to the nation of Israel. He's in the wrong place. He's there because he's been focusing on the wrong thing. Instead of focusing on all the miracles that God had done, he focused on the word of a wicked woman who said she was going to kill him. And he says, well, I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. And for the children children of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the Lord. And I'm the only one that's left. And they're trying to take my life, and it's bad, and I've been zealous for you, and I don't know what to do. Having a little pity party. Now remember, this is somebody God used. This is the most powerful prophet in the Old Testament. He gets discouraged. He gets suicidal, he gets off mission, and, and, and he's complaining to God, full of self-pity, and God says, look, there's 7,000 people I've got who've never bowed to Baal. Now, this is one of his problems. Listen to me. There's 7,000 people in Israel that are just like him, and he doesn't know any of them. Not that He doesn't know any of them. You were not meant to go through life alone. You were created for relationship. And you've got to find people of a similar spirit because iron sharpens iron. It's when you try to do things alone that you get messed up. You get discouraged. You get off mission. You get full of self-pity because you're the only one. But God's saying you're not the only one. So I think it's interesting what God does for the prophet is he does two things. First of all, he gives him a friend. He says, Now you go and find Elisha, the son of Saphath, and you anoint him to be prophet in your place. And you take him with you for the next 20 years and teach him everything you know. Got him companionship. And then he said, And you go and you anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. Gave him an assignment. All right? You know, when when we've got, when when we know what God's purpose is for our life, all right, instead of just going on purposeless in life, you know, it, it keeps you from that place of discouragement. You know, I have a purpose. I'm here. You know, the Bible says that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God's got some stuff for you to do. And by the way, that's why we want you in, in, in uh, growth track, so you can discover your gift and your purpose and find out how to make a difference in life, right? We want everybody there, right? So God gives them an assignment. And and he really, he came out of that place where he was depressed and suicidal and full of self-pity and lonely and felt like he was the only one and under attack. But now, the Bible says that he had passions just like you and just like me. We think that because I get discouraged, because I feel lonely, because I feel like I've, I've missed it someplace, that God is done with you. But that is not the case at all. In fact, this is what the Bible says that God uses the foolish things and the weak things of this world. Now, I don't know what that says about you and me, <laughs> except that we qualify. All right? It says, not many mighty, not many rich, not many noble. God takes and chooses the weak things and the foolish things. You say, why does God do that? Because then we're supposed to know it's Him and not us. He's the one who gets the glory. Ephesians chapter 3. That was the introduction. Here we go. Verse, Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever now this is to all generations that's our generation and what god wants to do in the earth he wants to do it in the church through the church the church is not the building the church is us it's us he wants to do it through us now i want to maybe get to three points in this verse today but point number one is this you have to have a big ask Got that? Point number one have a big ask. (laughs) Small prayers insult God. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. How many of you, you know, he can go beyond your imagination. I mean, you know, you can think of some good things. You can think of some big things. But the Bible says what God can do is greater than what you can even think. Anything you can think. He, he goes beyond because his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways, they're not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. And his thoughts higher than our thoughts small prayers insult god you see what 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 god wants you to do listen if you really find out what god wants you to do it will bother you it will keep you up at night right because what god wants to do through you is greater than what you're able to even think it's greater than what you can even imagine now somebody says well why would god want to do that for us Well, there's a number of reasons, but the first reason I'd like to mention is very simply because you're his kids. We are his kids. How many of you know Bill and Melinda Gates, their children have a few advantages in life? There's a few advantages that are there, but when you become a child of God, there's some benefits. The psalmist said in Psalms 103, and forget not all his benefits. There are some advantages There's some benefits to being part of the family of God. Now, the Bible tells us in Psalms 5 and verse 12, with favor you will surround them like a shield. God's favor is to surround you, to protect you, to provide for you. And literally, the favor of God means that God wants to do for you things that you do not deserve. Things you don't deserve. It's not because of what you've done. It's in spite of all the messed up things you've done. He wants to surround you with that favor. And you realize there is nothing too hard for the Lord. I, I know that we settle for less than what God wants. I know for a fact that I have again and again Missed God and not gotten everything God had for us. Everything God had for him. Listen, the Bible says in Psalm 78, 41, Yes, again and again they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. God wanted to do so much more for Israel than what he did. And we look and we think, wow, split the Red Sea, provide manna from heaven. Shout and the walls fall down? Throw stones at their enemies from heaven? That's pretty good stuff. But the Bible says God wanted to do so much more. Again and again, they limited the Holy One of Israel. James says it this way. He says, you know, sometimes he says, you have not because you ask not. You know, we need to ask big because we have a big God. In more or less modern church history, one of my favorite heroes is William Carey. Now, he was born in 1761, was a cobbler and a part-time school teacher. Uh, He went to a pastor's meeting May the 30th, 1792. And uh, he got up and and, uh, gave a little message and even eventually wrote it down but this was the title by the way they had large titles they had they didn't just have long titles they had long messages i mean preaching two three hours was not uncommon it said but his was the title of his message an inquiry into the obligation of christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen in other words he was saying should we do something to reach lost people or should we just let them be lost and see what happens well, there was a, the, the, the presbyter that was in charge, Dr. John Rolland, said to him, young man, sit down. When God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your aid or mine. He just said, whatever God's will is, is going to happen. Now, how many of you know that's not right? The Bible says that God wills that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But people slip into eternity every day. God wants everyone to tithe. How many of it's not working for y'all? Some people aren't. But it's God's will. It's God's will. So not everything that happens is God's will. So a short time later, William Carey preaches a sermon called, Ask Great Things of God and Expect Great Things from God and Attempt Great Things for God. At the close of this sermon in his church, he had the ushers lock the doors. And he said, we need to do something. And before they left church that day, they started the first modern mission society. And William Carey had no idea that what was going to happen. He never planned to be a missionary. But in less than a year, he finds himself on a boat on the way to India. And when he arrives in India, he has tremendous opposition. And Listen, every time you move ahead in God, there is going to be Opposition. When you move to a new level, you will always find a new devil. There's always going to be that opposition. In Hebrews 10, verse 32, it says, You recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. After you're illuminated, after you get revelation, after you get direction, you will endure a great struggle with suffering. That is the most unpopular word in the church of the 21st century is suffering. Amen. But the Bible says when you get a hold of what God has for you, when you get that word from God, when revelation comes, when direction comes, it says you will endure a great struggle with suffering. Amen. At least I got one amen. I didn't think that I was going to get any. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I cannot tell you how many times this has happened where where people will come for prayer. And they say, Pastor, why don't you pray about this, pray about that. And I will say, well, I, I want you to do something. And the most common answer, this is the most common answer I've ever received. Well, I will if it's easy. How many of you know that enduring a great struggle and suffering and easy do not go together? The The will of God for your life will cost you. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you energy. It'll cost you effort. In fact, Jesus said it will cost you your life. He said you need to lay down. You will lose your life. You will find it. You'll find it. You know, you're going to deal with stuff. Now, it might be business stuff or health stuff or marriage stuff or kids stuff or personal stuff or past stuff or money stuff, but there's going to be stuff. And you're going to endure a great struggle. Whoever said, well, be a Christian and you will live on a flowery bed of roses, lied. Let me tell you, become a Christian and you will endure a great struggle and suffering. Is that Bible? Yeah, it's not supposed to be easy. Some said say, that Christianity, it's a crutch. Not, in, not Bible Christianity's not. It is not. So, so, so Jesus said this when he's talking about this life of faith. Because, listen, faith is not a moment in time. Right? Faith is a life. We can look at Job and find a moment in time where everything was bad in Job's life. But the Bible says, look at Job, because in the end, in the end, right? Everything turned around in the end, right? So, so you, you, you can't look, say faith is just a picture of any moment in time. In fact, Jesus said this when he's talking about faith. He said, verily I say unto you, that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he it. Now, that little phrase, come to pass, in the Greek, it means come to pass in time or a process or journey. Journey. It's not a picture of any second, any moment in your life, because faith is not something that's a moment. You live by faith. Faith is to be a life thing not a moment thing right you can look at where you're at at any moment and want to give up right? but if you will endure a great struggle with suffering you will come through on the other side and it will be a different picture when you're done than there is at that moment in time take Noah as an example God speaks to Noah and says, Noah, the world's going crazy. I mean, that's kind of a picture of what's happening in our world. He says, I'm going to judge the earth, and I want you to build an ark to save your family. So in the middle of dry ground, Noah starts building a boat. Now, it, the Bible tells us it took 100 years to build the boat. Noah was 500 when God spoke to him and 600 when the flood came. Right. And the Bible says during that time, he was a preacher of righteousness. He's building a boat, but he's telling people, look, repent. God wants to have mercy. God's going to judge the earth. And people thought he was a kook. They thought he was crazy. You're building a boat in the middle, a dry ground, because you think there's going to be a flood? And why is the boat? You're going to put what in the boat? They thought he was crazy, right? You endure a great struggle with suffering. King David, well, before he was king, probably he's 14, 15 at the oldest, when the prophet Samuel goes to Bethlehem and anoints him to become king of Israel. And you know the story after that. He killed a lion. He killed a bear. He killed a giant. And then King Saul saw the anointing on him and the Bible says Saul became his enemy and sought to kill him every day for 10 years he's running around hiding out in caves and living in a desert and in woods and actually had to flee to a foreign country to in order for Saul not to kill him. Then he finally becomes king, and then he has a battle with the Philistines and another battle with the Philistines and a battle with the Moabites and then a battle with the Edomites and then another battle with the Philistines and another battle and another battle and another battle and another battle and endured great struggle with suffering. In the end, did he receive what God had for him? Yes. All right? But it was a great struggle with suffering. Moses dies. God speaks to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servants are dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Now, he gets a word from God. You're going to go over. You're going to help these children of Israel. You're going to lead them. I'm giving you the land, children of Israel. But notice the next verse, verse 7 he says, "Only be strong and very courageous." Verse 9, "Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor be dismayed." Verse 18, "Only be strong and of good courage." Why did God keep telling him, "Be strong, be of good courage. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed?" Because he was afraid. Because he was dismayed. He's looking at look at what I've got. 2 million people and all these seven nations in front of me. How what in the world am I going to do? You know? And he did not get victory in a day, but he did get victory. A hundred and fifteen times they breached the walls of cities. A hundred and fifteen times. It didn't happen instantly, but it did happen. You know, and when you get a word from God, when you decide, I'm going to follow the will of God for my life, there's going to be opposition. A while back, a, a pastor said to me, He says, you know, really, what's the difference between pastoring a church of 100 people and pastoring the church of 1,000 people? I I, I very quickly said it's very easy, 10 times as much trouble. (laughs) You laugh, but it's true. It's true. So William Carey, he gets to India, 1793, opposition everywhere. But let me tell you what he did. First, he translated the Bible in over 20 languages and started the first trans- Sanskrit dictionary. Dictionary in the local language. Started a lot of churches. He started several schools, including the first school in India ever for girls, the first school ever for all classes, the first college ever in the native language. You know why he did it? He did it because he said, let, the Bible said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, when Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he wasn't talking about your leaving here and going to heaven. He was talking about God using you to bring the kingdom. When Jesus began to preach, the first thing he said was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's here. So we have, got, in the church for the most part, we have got this mentality that we're, we're, we're going to escape. All right? This world, it's terrible. It's awful. It's going in the wrong direction. You know, And we're kind of like, one fine day when this life is over, I'll fly away. You know, I'm just waiting to get out of here. But the truth is, God wants you here. He wants you here to bring the kingdom. Somebody says, yeah, but the rapture's coming and we're getting out of here. Listen, listen carefully. The rapture is tactical and temporary. It is tactical and it's temporary. Now, it's tactical because God is going to pour his wrath out on the earth. It's finally people just will not repent and will not repent. You can read Revelation, the wrath of God comes. But the Bible says God has not appointed us under wrath, but to obtain salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So before the wrath comes, because how I many you know your sin's paid for? Before the wrath comes, God's going to take the church. Now, I don't care who you talk to, all right, any theologian. The longest you're going to be gone is seven years. Some three and a half, some one. You know, I don't care where your theology is, but you don't escape forever. How I many know you're coming back? You're coming back. You see, what redemption is about is the restoration of all things. All right? Jesus is coming back to rule and to reign, and the Bible says you're coming back with him. Right? Somebody says the end of the world is coming soon. No, if Jesus came today, it'd be over a thousand years because he's coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years and then the eternal kingdom, which is also here. We got everybody just trying to, let's just get out of here. No, God's plan is the restoration of all things. He wants us to bring the kingdom. When Jesus said, pray your kingdom come, he wasn't talking about your escaping, but using you to bring the kingdom. And we could say it this way, your kingdom come, your will be done through me. You can put that on the end, kind of like in parentheses, all right? It's not like, like, like we're just going to leave because this place is so bad. So, William Carey's there. He campaigns against child marriage. He was the first to campaign against Sati. Now, in, in uh, the Hindu religion, when the man would die, the husband would die, they would burn his body, but they would take his wife and they would put her alive, put her on top. So that, and they would burn her to death with him so he wouldn't be lonely. Right? He was the first to campaign against it. Right? He campaigned against infanticide, published the first book on natural science in India because he said we are to take dominion over the earth. Right? We are not just supposed to sit back and let whatever happens happen. We're supposed to take dominion. Right? Brought the printing press to India and uh, taught people to use it, was the first to introduce uh, paper from India itself to use. He was the first to bring in the saving banks. Because in India at the time, interest rates were between 36 and 72 percent. Now, you, you just can't get ahead. When you're borrowing at that type of an interest rate and so he introduced savings banks to give people low interest rates now by the way the reason that he did that is because the bible says in proverbs 13 even when the land of the poor produces good crops they get cheated out of what they grow he said he said the part of the kingdom of god is not that people the poor are oppressed through the banking industry right he pioneered Media, all right, the printing media with translating over 20 different languages, the Bible into over 20 different languages. He uh, founded the first Indian agricultural horticultural society in 1820, 30, 10 years, excuse me, before they did in England. He introduced astronomy to the subcontinent to dislodge the destructive. Astrology, the fatalism, the superstition that whatever happened in the stars would dictate what would happen in your life. He was the first to stand against polygamy. He was the first to stand against female infanticide, widow burning, child marriage, euthanasia. He did all of those things because he said, Our job is to bring the kingdom of God to earth and not just say, Look, the world's in a mess and let's just get out of here. Jesus said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know what? This world, we need need the kingdom to come, but we need farmers to bring the kingdom into the farming industry. We need teachers to bring the kingdom into the educational industry. We need bankers to bring the kingdom into the banking community. We need journalists to bring the kingdom into journalism. We need, we need actors to bring, inter- to bring the kingdom into the entertainment industry. We need, we need politicians that are godly to bring the kingdom into politics. We need construction people that will bring the kingdom into construction. We need people, lawyers that will bring the kingdom into the, the, the area of law in the, our judiciary. We need kingdom people doing kingdom things everywhere because you're here. The kingdom of God, it is at hand. We think way too small. We think too small. And I preach too long, but I'm going to tell you one more story. All right. Years ago, probably 20-plus years ago now, we, we, were, we, we were over on 44th Street and in a pole barn, ugly green pole barn. And uh, we were doing Saturday night service, four Sunday morning services, two Sunday afternoon services, and we were, just, we we're just like, we need more room." And uh, Bernie and I, right next to us, the city of Granville, the school district, had a little piece of property. Uh, not, not real big, but we wanted that property. So we're going over there. Bernie and I, Bernie remembers this, we're stomping on that property. We're walking around. We claim this property in the name of Jesus. And so we, we contacted the school district, and we made them an offer for the property, and they said no. So then we made them another offer, and they said no. And finally, we said, name your price, and they said no price. Can't have it. And we're like, we claim it? And then 150 acres showed up where we are here. How many of you know God had better planes than we did? I mean, his, his plans were so much bigger than our plans. And I really do, I believe sometimes we insult God with our small-mindedness, our small prayers. We're just like Israel. We limit the Holy One of Israel. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. According to his power, That's at work in you. And the Bible says it is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now, if you're watching, but you don't know where you stand with God, or you're away from God, and you say, I want to get right, I want to be forgiven. I want to live my life for God. I want to be a part of that kingdom of God. I want you to just bow your head. Pray this prayer out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart, all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer, that I'm forgiven, that my past is gone that I'm your child, today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that simple prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer, and you are right with God. Now, I wrote a book to help you keep growing spiritually, full of bullet points to show you your next steps. I want to send it to you free of charge. You can download that book, or you can contact us, and we'll send it to you absolutely free. This is going to help you as you continue to grow in Christ. God bless you. Have a great day.
0: If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life. We're so happy for you. To receive a copy of Pastor's free book, you can go to walkingbyfaith.tv and request a copy of this book be mailed to you. Or you can download it right there instantly. Either way, it's absolutely free. While online, you can purchase a copy of today's message, Effective Prayer in the WBF Store. You can also download the scriptures for this message under the On Demand page. Walking by Faith is used across the globe to spread the truth that changes lives on and off the air. To partner with us financially in this great commission, go to walkingbyfaith.tv slash If God is using Walking by Faith to change your life, we'd love to hear about it. You can connect with us on Facebook or send an email to your story at walkingbyfaith.tv. Next, we'll be challenged with a message who's your navigator? Until then, be blessed.